0: All right, before we start talking about something really heavy, we're going to talk about something just as heavy. Uh, The um, Kim Davis. Yeah, just for a second. Kim Davis is the clerk, whatever she is, in Rowan County, Kentucky, um, who is in jail right now because she will not issue marriage license to same-sex couples. I don't know where you fall on that, don't really care. I guess I shouldn't have said that quite so bluntly. Here's where I am on this. This, I am trying real hard to sort all this out and figure out where we really need to be. It's so easy to stand up and rail against something or for something and look at it as a very simple issue. But there's no simple in any of this. You're dealing with people's lives. You're dealing with, you know, I've, I've heard on television several people that have said about this woman, well, she should have just quit. Okay, that's the way you feel. Let me ask you a question. For all of you that are working people, if your boss came in today and told you to do something that was against your conscience, would you just quit? Could you afford to just quit? Could you? Just walk out the door and say I'm done I hate it I don't have any money and I don't have anywhere to pay my bills but I'm done see it ain't as easy as all that so I'm asking you this morning to pray for her pray for the all the people that are involved pray for the people that are loving and pray for the people that are hateful I ask you to pray for me as I try to sort this out because life is going to get increasingly complicated And we've got to know how to deal with it as Christians. Jesus said we will be known as his people by the love that we show. And that sounds easy. Except what is love? Does love mean that I accept everything you do? We were talking about it before the service started. Sometimes love means that you have to turn somebody over your knee and blister their ear end. But when do you do that? this is not easy this is dealing with people's lives so before you start spouting off at the mouth which I do very well sometimes think twice about it let's think about what we're saying and think about the people we're talking to and the people we're talking about this is very very complicated but at the end of it there is a very simple thing that God is in control He's going to take us where we need to go. He gets us to the right place eventually. Sometimes we just have to bloody our nose a little bit before we get there. Let's pray right quick. Father, as we come before you this morning, we pray for your wisdom. You tell us in your word that if anyone lacks wisdom to ask for it and that you will give it to them. And we're asking help us to understand love not the sappy mess that we see on television or in the movies or even portrayed as people talk about each other help us to understand love that would die for somebody else if we had to Help us to understand what it means to love somebody so much that we can say no sometimes. Even when it's not popular to say no. And help us to to have a love that knows when to say yes and how to say yes and when to stand up humbly and say, There, but for the grace of God go I. There is plenty of condemnation in this world people are cutting people's heads off because they are Christian. Help us, Lord, to stir a revival because people see your love coming out of your church with such power that it is irresistible. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we want to go from there to talk about my friend's grandmother. My best friend's grandmother, when I was in high school, she was the best grandmother in the entire existence of humanity, as far as I'm concerned. I don't know that I ever met the woman, but you know, you know something about somebody by their actions. And I don't understand if it was because, I can't remember actually, it's been a minute since I was in high school, but it is not funny. Um... It has been a minute since I've been in high school, and I can't remember if it was for his 16th birthday or if it was for his graduation. He was a year behind me uh, in school, and I can't remember exactly what it was for, but she bought him a brand-new car. Yep. Yep. Brand new car. Now this was significant to me because, see, I went to work when I was 15 years old at South Cobb Pharmacy in Austell, Georgia, working for one dollar an hour, and it's not because that was that long ago. Minimum wage was like a buck 85, but because I worked for a small business, he could pay me less, and so I worked for a dollar an hour. I saved six dollars—that's that's 600 hours of my life to buy a 1964 four-door Ford Custom 500 something your grandmama and granddaddy should have been driving but it was my blue bomb. And that's what everybody called it. It was a blue bomb. So when my best friend drove up one day at my job in his brand new Ford Pinto son. I'm telling you, brand new Ford Pinto. I walked outside and thought that was about the coolest thing in the world. Now, it was a Ford Pinto. You know, it wasn't a Mustang. It was a Ford Pinto. It only had one problem. It was that color. It was orange. And I don't mean orange like, oh, there's an orange car. I mean like, oh, there comes America. There he comes. It was so bright. I mean, it was orange orange. And he wasn't really happy about the orange, but I thought, you know, it's a new car. His grandmother gave him a new car. I'm driving a car that's 10 years older than his. New car. Yeah, well, one day not too long after that, I'm over at my girlfriend's house, and uh, here he comes driving up in another car. And he's beaming from ear to ear, man. I mean, the biggest smile that you've ever seen in the world. And he, he tells me that he has traded his brand new car for a used Opal GT. Yeah. Yeah, there you go. You know, it looks like a Corvette that got caught in the rain and shrunk a little bit. I'm telling you, right? The headlights, you don't see the headlights because on the inside of it, it had a little handle. And you'd, you'd pull back the handle, and they'd flip over. And, you know, that was really cool. We didn't have automatic light. You know, no, 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 no. You'd still, but you'd pull it, and you'd see those headlights go, and that was cool. And then when it quit raining, or it was morning or something, you'd push up on the handle, go, and it would look just like that. It was a cool-looking car. But the whole time he was at my girlfriend's house showing us this car, I'm thinking to myself that he has traded, he traded even. Guys that have ever dealt with a car dealership, if you trade even, you didn't get the good deal. But he trades even with a guy, and he's thrilled about this. And I'm thinking to myself that, you know, it's a brand spanking new car, sketchy car lot that he went to. I know this car looks pretty cool, but I'm just not sure about it. Well, my girlfriend lived at the bottom of a hill. To get to her house, you drove down the road, then you turned right, and you went down this hill that sort of looped around, and it went back up to the other side and went out the same way you came in. So he backs out, and you always went the same way at her house. It was sort of odd because you could have just backed out, and went up the hill, but no, you back out, you go down the hill, turn, and go up the hill. So he does what we always do, and he gets up a little head of steam, going down the hill, and comes around the corner and starts up the hill, and then his car is making this noise like. Wah! but it stops and that motor's screaming and it's not going anywhere yeah that's because the head gaskets were blown yeah in an opal gt back in the day cost him a bundle to get that car fixed when he got it fixed it was cool but he traded a brand new car that had no problems for that car. Now, here's the point of the story. There's a whole lot of things that we could look about here, a whole lot of things we could talk about. He did do, should have done, whatever. But as crazy as I thought my friend was to trade a brand new car for a used car, it was his car. It was his car. And he could do whatever he wanted to with that car, no matter what, regardless of what I thought or what I would have done or what I thought was a smart thing to to do, no part of that situation belonged to me at all. He was sovereign over his possessions. He owned them. He had the power over them. He was sovereign over his possessions, as is God. As is God. Let's refresh our memories. We, didn't, we don't need to refresh our memories because I didn't do it again this morning. I don't know. I think, Haley, you're going to have to stand up and down and wave your hands going, Randy, you missed something. Here we go. Here's the scripture that we were supposed to have read earlier. For he says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So it, so then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Now, this section of Scripture, this part of Romans, is sort of some technical kind of stuff Paul gets into here. And it can be a little bit hard to follow, understanding all this kind of good stuff. And we're going to sort of deal with some of this this morning. In this section, Paul's talking about the sadness that he has that most of the Jews have rejected Jesus as Messiah. Paul even goes so far as to say, think about saying this this about somebody in your life. For I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. Paul is saying here, he's saying I would rather die and spend eternity in, my, in hell myself if my brothers could be saved. Remember when I started out saying how complicated things are? Really? When you think about it, how complicated things are? Think about Paul. These people that he's talking about, these kinsmen of his, who are they? They were people that raised him. He went to their house, he played with their children. He ate with them. He went to religious, he went to church with them. Some of these people, he sat at their feet and he learned under them. They were were his mentors. They were his teachers. They were very, very important. Think about, think about your favorite teacher that you ever had in your whole life. Ms. Brill, my fourth grade teacher, she read me Charlotte's Web made me cry in class. (laughs) Favorite teacher of all time. Would that I lose my salvation if she could have hers, is what he's saying. Do you see how personal this is? How complex things get? He's not just talking about Jews. He's talking about people that mean something to him. And in all of this, he's, he's talking about his friends and his family and his mentors and he wants them to be saved but they're not going to be saved because they've rejected Jesus and Paul understands that it's the Holy Spirit's job to bring them to salvation and if they aren't saved then it's because the Holy Spirit's not drawing them they're rejecting he's not pulling them to them And that's where the arguments get all crazy because then we get into predestination and election and people's heads start spinning around and around and their eyeballs flip back in their heads. We're not going to talk about those things this morning. We're going to talk about this argument that Paul used because it's the point. It's the argument that Paul uses to set people straight when they complain that God isn't doing what we think he ought to be doing. Paul's entire argument hinges around this one aspect of God, that God is sovereign, that God has perfect rule over all creation from the subatomic level all the way up to galaxies and universe and the great expanse of space, that God is in charge of it all. He rules it all. He owns it all. So here's Paul's argument has three of them that I've put in the context of things that we say now. The first argument they he has is, that's not fair. Now, y'all know what my statement is to that's not fair, right? Do you want me to help you so you can memorize it? It's really good, parents. I'm telling you, it's the greatest thing in the world to exasperate your children. When they say it's not fair, you simply say to them, you want fair? I tell you what. Let's wait until October and drive south on I-75, and there you'll see a place where people ride rides, eat cotton candy, and every now and then a horse will get a blue, ribbon, a, a, a cow will get a blue ribbon. That's the only fair you get, and it's almost October, so you're almost there. Their little faces bead with sweat because they get so aggravated with you. It's not fair. Romans 9:15 and 16 says. For he, God, says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. God told Moses in essence, I am going to do what I am going to do. I will be merciful on those that I decide to be merciful to. I am going to have compassion on those that I decide to have compassion on, and I'm not going to tell you why. And I'm not even going to try to get into why he might say why. He very simply says, I'm going to do what I'm going to do. And then Paul amplifies that with this statement. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. So you understand what he's saying here? It's not me. I don't have any part in this. This is God. I don't get to decide what's fair. You do not get to decide what is fair. God alone decides. He alone knows enough that he knows if a decision or an action is fair or not. Saying, it's not fair. There's no way for me to know that if it is or it isn't. I may think it's not fair, and that'd be the worst thing that ever happened to you if it went through. I don't know. God does. God is sovereign. Second part. To those who say, I can do what I want to do and say what I want to say, Paul would say verses 20 and 21, but who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? Have you ever seen somebody making a pot they reach down and they take clay you know what clay is it's dirt special kind of dirt It's the dirt we cultivate but it's dirt it's mud and they reach down and they plop it on top of that wheel and it starts spinning around and around we see this guy up here I guess it's a guy I'm not sure you never see any more than what you're seeing right here takes slaps that down on the, on the potter's wheel there, and just in a matter of seconds, look at this, in just a matter of seconds, this guy starts making this pot. And the thing about this pot is when he gets through with it, he can decide on the one hand that I'm going to fire it and glaze it and I'm really going to decorate it really, really nice and we're going to send it to one of those upscale places that rich people go to to buy stuff and somebody's going to buy this very expensive honey pot or mustard jar or whatever this is and bring it to their house and set it up there and it's going to be gorgeous they're going to pay a lot of money for it and then he's going to make another one just like it but decide you know what i'm going to not quite decorate it quite like i decorated the other one and it's going to get sent off to some pottery barn somewhere or walmart for one of us to buy somewhere and you know whose decision it is about where this wheel's about, about where this pot's going to go. It is the potter's decision. It is the one who made it decision. This is going to be hard for you. This is hard for me. I don't. I like it, but I don't like it all at the same time because it fights against my independence. The potter decided who would be smart and who wouldn't. The potter decides which child is going to be born which way. The potter decides life. And saying what you want to say and do what you want to do still only happens within the parameters. That the potter says that you can do it. There are limits because the potter is sovereign. The potter's in charge of the clay, he decides what it will become, he decides how it will be used. The potter decides. Now there's a lot of different ways to react to that statement, and like I said, part of that sort of rank, wrinkles wrinkles against my being because I don't like the thought that there is someone who says that it's going to be this, but it is. And the way to respond to that is Proverbs 18:12. Proverbs 18:12 says, "Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor." When I stand humbly before God, then I can see him. Listen, I know this is hard. Stick with me. It means something. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. I didn't ask permission to use this, but it's on Facebook, so I think I'm covered. Lacey and Oscar Walton. Have a little girl named Holly. And many of y'all know that Holly is autistic. Lacey's built a web page, uh, a Facebook page that you probably ought to all go to called Hollywood's Journey. Holly was born autistic. Why? She's got more against her and the way she has to live up than most of us had going for us when we were born. We're going to have an easy life. Hers is going to be complicated. Why? Because the potter decided to. Because the potter decided it. And if you approach her haughty, if you approach any child like her with a haughty, arrogant attitude of why? You will not see God. But if you come to her and children like her humbly. Lacey posted Holly saying her prayers the other day. You could barely hear her. Just a little whisper. Sounded like the whisper of an angel. A little child who has more going against her And she's saying her prayers to God. Humbly come before Him. When we approach life humbly, realizing that all of us, each and every one of us, was created by the very hand of God, we get the honor of seeing God in this life because God is in control. God decides. God's in charge. Paul says, what right do we have to turn to the one who created us and give him any advice or fuss at him in any way? Why did you create them that way? Why did you allow this to occur? If you were a good God, you wouldn't have done this. What gives us the right to say anything to the one who created us ex nihilo i use that on purpose because it's my favorite phrase from seminary and i want you to learn it you know it ex nihilo ex out of nihilo nothing you know the word annihilation yeah that's what that word's built off of when something is annihilated it's destroyed there is nothing left You kids that are in school studying philosophy and you hear about nihilists. Nihilists are people who believe that life has absolutely no meaning at all. That you just accidentally born. You do the things you do through life by accident choice and you die. And when you die, all of the molecules of your being are just absorbed into the soil and there is nothing else to you. You disappear. There is nothing. You are annihilated. Ex nihilo. God created all that there is out of nothing. Out of nothing. There was no, the thing I have about the Big Bang, I believe in the Big Bang. I like the Big Bang theory. It's dynamite. I've told you all that before. When God said, let there be, I'm telling you, when God said, get ready, when God said, let there be, there was boom! Don't you think? The only difference was if there wasn't a preexistent matter there waiting to explode, there was nothing. There was nothing. Empty space. And when God said, let there be, that empty space gave way to everything that he imagined flying across the universe. Out of nothing, he created me. Out of nothing, he created you. Out of nothing, he created us. I certainly can say what I want to say and do what I want to do, but if I want to see God, I humble myself before the man who created everything out of nothing because he is sovereign God. It is his. And then the last point. Why do bad things happen to good people? I'm going to turn this one up on its head. Romans 9, and 23 says, What if God... Desiring to show his wrath and make known his power has endured with much patience vessels of wrath prepared for destruction in order to make known the riches of his glory for vessels of mercy which he has prepared beforehand before, for glory. Lots of words. Let's take this thing apart real quick. First, show his wrath. Show his wrath means ultimate judgment. I want you to think about this. You're, you're, those of you who have been parents, are parents, think about this. Have you ever let your kids just keep doing something wrong? You're just patient with them. And you let them just keep doing something wrong. You're going to let them do it until that moment that you can walk in and go, I am your father! Go to your room! It's just the right moment so that they understand what they've done, you know? What's the old thing, give them enough rope? Let them hang themselves, little rugrats. I'll show them. That's me wanting to show my ultimate judgment. What if God, desiring to show his ultimate judgment and make known his power, has endured with much patience? Let me ask you a question. Do you know why you're not dead right now? Now, I want you to think about this. This isn't isn't a God thing. This is a life thing. I want you to think about this. Because of all the times that you aggravated the stew out of your mom and dad or whoever raised you to the point that they wanted to pinch your little head off and throw it away right off that stinky, puppy-smelling little body of yours. And yet they bore with you, endured you with much patience. That's the image. God, overwhelmed by the behavior he sees in us, endures humanity with much patience in order to make known the riches of his glory, in order to make known heaven, in order to make known the forgiveness of sin, in order to make known new life, in order to make known freedom in Christ, in order to make known his glory and his honor and his power and his everything, he gives to those vessels of mercy, those that he has chosen to be merciful to. And as I read these words, I understood for the first time that I've been answering the question wrong for people who have asked me, Randy, why do bad things happen to good people? That's the wrong question to ask a sovereign God. The right question is, why do good things happen to any of us? Now listen to me. Listen to me. This is one of the things that aggravates me, and slowly but surely we're going to learn to do. People come into the church, and they check their brains at the door, and they look at everything that's said as an isolated event. Remember what you've been taught so this will fit in with it. Adam and Eve did what? They sinned, right? And from that moment on, has there been a good person? Hello? From that point on, has there been a good person? No, there has not. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, right? All, every run. That means that there are no good people. Oh, but Randy, there are. No, they're not. In everybody's heart of hearts, we are the most selfish creatures on the face of this planet. There are no good people people why do bad things happen to good people who's defining good me and you what makes them good are they as good as us or or maybe they're a little bit better than us or they act a little bit better or maybe they act a whole lot better or they act the same as us what makes them good because see they're not they were bad people just like us we were all sinners we are only good by the mercy of God. And that's Paul's entire point here. God is sovereign. He's the potter. And as the potter, he has chosen, for whatever reason, that's known only to him, to display his mercy and and be compassionate to a number of people that he has decided to be compassionate to, people that he will make good, people that he will make new by the power of the blood of Jesus Christ, us, and all that the Holy Spirit calls to salvation. We pay lip service to this song. Remember this one? God is in control. Remember that? We'll sing it till the cows come home. If we are to live it, we have to bow down before him humbly, acknowledging his power, acknowledging his his greatness, appreciating and celebrating his mercy that a man like me, that a woman like you, the God who created all that there is, ex nihilo, has chosen you to be compassionate and merciful towards. So dig this. So he could show you and all of those around you the riches of his glory so that he could love on you and make your life so free that you are overwhelmed by him and because you are overwhelmed, you will worship and love and adore him forever. That's how this thing's supposed to work because God is sovereign and in his mercy, For his reason, which I cannot define, I cannot understand, because of his mercy and compassion, he chose us and a multitude of other people to be patient with so that he could show us his glory, give us salvation, make us new creatures so that we could love and him forever. I'm not sure if that one took or not. It's a hard teaching. Take it home and mull over it a little bit. God has saved us. When no one was good, He saved us. In his mercy and his compassion and that should drive us to worship him this morning a lot of questions that can come up in your mind a lot of questions why how how do I know that he's speaking to me how do I know that I'm one of the chosen how do I know let me tell you something if you're here this morning you were not here by accident and that you hear the message that's spoken you hear the cross of Christ Christ died on a cross to save you from your sins. His blood washes us clean. His death takes our sins and buries them forever. His resurrection brings us to new life and gives us new life to go forward with. He gives us all of that. He's telling you that this morning. If you have never turned to him and said, Lord Jesus, I trust you to be my Savior, That's what it takes. Nothing more than that. He will change your forever with one prayer. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I trust you to take my life and do with it as you will. And he'll change you if you've never prayed that prayer, you feel a stirring in your heart, you feel something in your soul this morning, I invite you to pray that prayer in just a moment as we have a hymn of invitation. A hymn of invitation. For those of you who have done that already, meditate for a moment on what that means. And what does it mean that God's sovereign? What does that mean about your life and what you can depend on and what you can count on? What does that mean? And understand that He knows everything and He's walking with you every minute of every day and He is dying to show you new things that you've never known before, to make you live in a way that you've never been able to live before, to make you free. Let's pray. Father, this morning, Help us to understand just a smidgen of what it means to worship a sovereign God. Help us to understand what it means to walk out of here. And have my life ruled by a sovereign God. Help us to understand why that should give us assurance and why it should give us strength and boldness to be able to stand up and never fear, but to stand up and say, my God is the God of all time. He has chosen me and called me out. And he'll never forsake me. Stir our hearts this morning, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.